0: Yeah, you said Angela Bassett was in The Thing.
1: Now, Angela Bassett did The Thing. What's The Thing? Good question. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. With me again, Keith Foster from San Diego, California. And you
0: are Cassidy Robinson, and you are recording from an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains.
1: And today we will be doing uh, reviews for the movie Gran Turismo, uh, which is still in theater. Uh, And for the streaming homework, we will also be talking about Danny Boyle's Millions, which uh, is available to stream now on Disney+. And I want everyone to know that you risked your life for this episode. Uh,
0: So uh, so kind of? Um, Even if they
1: didn't see the movie... They owe it to you and us. So I went to
0: see this on uh, National Cinema Day or whatever, National Mm -hmm. Movie Day, um, because tickets were only $4, and I was like, hell yeah. And we were about halfway, I I think it was about halfway through the movie, Mm -hmm. when um, all of a sudden, like... Every, like, I started smelling something weird, and then I was like, is that smoke? And then I see other people, like, standing and looking around, and just people start to leave. And me and my wife Ashley were like, uh, what's, what is happening? And we look up, and there's, like, smoke coming from the projection room. So we're just like, oh, it's it's a fire." So everybody like <laughs> makes their way out of the theater. And you know, this was a matinee on a Sunday. And then, you know, there's something like a hundred people in the lobby because there was no sign of fire or distress anywhere else. Um, so we were on the lobby and could, just trying to figure out like what's going on. Uh, You know, are we going to be able to finish the movie? So they gave us like comp passes, which was fine. Um, I just didn't have a lot of time in my week to see it. So I'm like, I might just only get to see half this movie. (laughs) Um, uh, But luckily I had a couple hours free this afternoon. So I was able to go back and finish it uh, mere hours before recording this podcast. (laughs)
1: Right. Well, let's get into it. Uh, we'll start yeah. here with our review of Gran Turismo, uh, brought to you by PlayStation Studios, which is a thing now, and Sony.
0: <laughs> yes, and I mean that's very clear. <laughs> yeah, they
1: they want you to know <laughs> throughout the film there is, uh, much product placement for Sony products and for PlayStation um which you know that makes You
0: know what the PlayStation
1: like... makes sense because that's a big part of what the story is.
0: Yeah, as far as corporate shilling goes, um this is a little smoother than some product placement because it's it, it's interesting, right? Cuz uh, uh unlike something like Air, right, where it is a movie about the product, this is the product is what made the story possible.
1: Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's it's sort of a, a natural marriage between, you know, a supposed true story or based on a true story mm. about uh the use of a product that funded a an actual sporting event.
0: Yeah.
1: Um versus something like Flaming Hot or Blackberry or whatever, where you're just yeah, doing the history of a product itself. Yeah, those are like these sort
0: of brand origin stories. This is just a story where the brand exists and that's part of the story. A documentation of the actual events.
1: Right. So the true story in question is the story of Jan Mardenborough Young English chap, roughly early 20s, maybe late teens, who has put in something like a thousand hours of gameplay in the oh, video I, I game. Think, I think more than a thousand. I think. I don't think they ever specify exactly, but I. No, they, they, they say don't. thousands. But it is. It a is, lot.
0: I, yeah, it's a lot. Who knows how long behind the wheel of. This game, uh Gran Turismo, which is a racing simulator.
1: Right, that was made by PlayStation. Um and there's been several, you know, varying variations of it throughout the years and he's been playing it I would assume since the beginning. He's also very fascinated by the world of uh uh real life uh stock car racing. Um and formula racing and all of that stuff as well. He was taken to a game by his father at a young age. and He kind of grew this fascination with it and is really stuck with this game. And he, in theory knows these tracks because in the, in the video game Gran Turismo, they're based on actual, uh, racing tracks all around the globe. And, uh, Uh, They're built to, you know, with the actual dynamics and physics of those tracks and cars that you would use on them. At the same time that he's obsessing about this game, uh, we have Orlando Bloom as Danny Moore, who is trying to reinvigorate uh, the actual sport of race car riding away from professional class millionaires who buy their way into the racing world by way of who who they know or uh, you know uh, sort of being uh, groomed into it through a sort of social order mm-hmm. and he wants to uh, bring younger attention to the sport and his idea is to Have a group of the of the best Gran Turismo video game players out there uh, in competition with each other, in sort of a Willy Wonka test. Whoever wins, begin to start racing in real life.
0: Yeah, Uh, it's the last Starfighter, right? Like whoever gets the highest score gets this, you know, potential to become a, a. an actual race car driver, right? Like, and then you go to they go to this camp, and then they compete with each other, and whoever comes out on top get becomes a full, full fledged branded racer sponsored by Nissan and Sony.
1: Yes, and as you would imagine, that's um, incredibly dangerous because it's not crazy to say that in a video game, there's not.
0: The real life consequences that come come from a car crash, or
1: right, you and know, the physicality like, of actually going those speeds and actually and, and
0: there's an athleticism to it. Like you, you know your yeah. your body needs to be able to take the G force, and you need to be able to you uh, react at a speed that a simulator is not
1: going to be able to accurately. Uh, Orlando Bloom's character, uh, Danny Moore, the the only way that he's able to get this project off the ground is to find uh, a coach or an engineer who is okay with this and willing to train these kids as best to his ability that they can step into the arena and race real drivers who've been doing it their whole lives, uh they do so in david harbor as jack uh salter who was a racer at a younger age he after an accident he uh, be- uh gets more into mechanics work um for the organization but he's somewhat invested in finding young talent as well he coaches these young kids and our hero uh Jan Martinborough is the victor and he is sent to start racing and he has all of these different goals he has to reach you know first to become licensed and then mm-hmm. to be able to eventually race against um these drivers in real competition yeah yeah
0: it's, it's it's like each different race is a different level of sorting pro, of sort of proving the legitimacy of this idea that simulated race time can account for real world experience
1: right and as you would imagine there's a lot of people who are waiting for him to fail or betting mm. against him and uh, you know, see the project as sort of frivolous and just as a PR stunt, and you know, everybody involved, um, whether it be uh Orlando Bloom who's putting this whole thing together, or David Harbour's character who uh is putting in his man hours to make sure that everything is safe and that they are really ready for the task, or the actual racers um are up against all of these personal and uh, physical odds. I mean, you've seen the trailer. This is all in there. I don't like that they had to add
0: based on a true story to, like, the actual title of the movie. It's, like, it's not just Gran Turismo. It's Gran Turismo, parenthesis, based on a true story. Because...
1: Right, because I think people would go in thinking... That it's well, based on the video. Yeah, that game. it's a video game movie, right? That it's that it's all right. just made up or whatever. And, you know, I don't really think it matters one way or another. I mean, it is a a, a somewhat incredible story. Nothing like this has really been done before. Sure. Um yeah. and the fact that this, you know, like the actual racer, the actual young uh, martin burrow he is he, uh worked on the film as the stunt double for yeah. the actor and so he's been able to actually continue to compete um he's incredibly young uh so yeah i mean it is an unlikely story and i think that that adds a certain amount of heft to it but mm-hmm. you know like you said, it's the last Starfighter. It's a bit more or less outside of that, you know, uh, plot framework. It's basically a sports movie. I mean, that's yeah. what this is. Well,
0: it's 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 an accumulation of all these things, right? Like it's a mm-hmm. little bit the last Starfighter. It's a little bit the Wizard. It's a little bit like these kind of video games as sports movies. But, it, you know, we're at an age where there's an actual story where that coalesces to an actual sport. Based on my two viewings of this movie, um, it, it kind of feels like two movies, right? Like there's the, there
1: is all of the stuff that
0: leads to the sports movie. And then there is the sports movie within the movie.
1: Oh I mean I think everything is pretty much there. Like I said you, you could take out PlayStation, you could take out
0: Oh the, uh, well
1: okay. We're getting
0: to some of my criticisms uh of the movie at at this point.
1: Well, there's some stylistics, but what I I'm, I'm just talking about the nuts and bolts of the story. It's it's a against all odds underdog um yeah. you know bet against the world and and triumph of the will sports movie you know he has complications with his dad he did he you know wants him to take his career seriously and doesn't see the point in him playing this video game the reason that i eventually went out and saw this movie because you know just from the trailers alone i was like okay it it looks like whatever it looks fine Mm -hmm. um but uh this is Uh, Directed by Neil Blomkamp, Mm -hmm. who did District 9 and uh, Chappie and uh, Elysium, Mm -hmm. which were, you know, totally his brain children.
0: Yeah, up until this point, really, he's always kind of dabbled in this genre of sci-fi futurism. And... This was like the, the first time that was like, a, oh, he's doing a movie for a, a licensed PlayStation game. And it's also a biopic and it's also a sports movie like it. Right. It, you know, it, it is kind of out of left field for his career trajectory.
1: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that it's the wildest thing in the world for him to to eventually get attached
0: to. You know, especially after, you know, District 9 was a huge success, both financially and critically. And since then, he has not reached that same level of success. So
1: it it does make sense that... It makes sense that this would be his next career move because I think he's tried to stay within that world, that aesthetic of District 9, that sort of... Uh, sci-fi futurism meets sort of junk-punk aesthetic. Sure, you know, yeah. sort of like junkyard, scrappy, sort of South African grunge kind of mm-hmm. appeal. And he's been working so much within his own head and his own concepts that I think it was starting to feel like he was sort of couldn't really find a way to to well, move out of that. And not- so the fact that he you know, t- took on yes. a for-hire project.
0: Not, I think not it makes to, a lot of sense. Well, not to put too fine a point on it, but he he's kind of in the same school of like M. Night Shyamalan, right? Where he had huge success early in his career and then struggled to find that same level of success. And so he had to, you know, now he is at that point where it's like impressive resume uh it, it, to keep making movies it makes sense to make a, a studio for higher project
1: well and i think it also it shows people in the industry who might think like oh he's just this weird guy who makes his weird little south african sci-fi movies yeah he just makes um, alien robot he, movies yeah it, it was a fluke a one hit wonder you mm-hmm. know it what whatever it could have been and i think the the idea of him doing this movie now whether or not this will uh grant him you know that second wind he's hoping for uh is another story but i think that was the idea was to show them like i can yeah. work in and out of the studio and i think that's kind of kind of what this was but i and i remember i read uh a little bit ago that this was originally approached For Joseph Kaczynski to do before he ended up doing. Joseph Kaczynski, who did Tron Legacy and who uh, recently did uh, Top Gun Maverick. And that makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But it also kind of makes sense that he would be second on that list. Or however many it got to before it got to him.
0: That Neil Blomkamp would be? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did this thing where he, like, launched... This independent small studio that was making short films, and um, he did have some other uh, that I never saw, the like the weird video game demon one. Um,
1: Right. Yeah, he did have a movie in there that I mean I think that was a pretty low point because even Chappie, it didn't. My my point was he get great reviews, but it it at least had a wide release.
0: My point is that he was. He was sort of trying to operate fully within his own realm, right? Mm -hmm. Like fully independent at a certain point of trying to create his own studio, doing these online shorts, things like that. The studio found him, he found the studio, and it it happened. You know, then this is the
1: movie we saw. Well, unless we forget, the only reason why uh, District 9 happened was because... It was produced by um, uh, Peter Jackson, Peter Jackson, who mm-hmm. had originally was attached to make a Halo movie yeah. that fell through. And that money or some of it um, uh, was given to Blomkamp to expand on his idea for District 9. So, you know, he kind of came into the industry through a video game project. And yeah, that's true. We've, that's we've come point. full circle. Uh okay so there's all of the uh extra textual information. Mm-hmm. Uh what did you uh what was your big takeaway from from Gran Turismo?
0: So I think that the two leads uh between David Harbro and Archie Medique, uh mm-hmm. as Jack Salter and Jan Martinbro. Uh, I think they're both great, and I think they have a lot of chemistry together, and I think, emotionally, they are doing their best to sell everything. All of the race stuff is very clean and crisp and uh, edited really neatly, and there's the sort of blend of... um, video game to reality and, and you know, there's oftentimes scenes where you sort of see the video game overlaid into real life or uh, right. or vice versa. The The video game starts to blend into like a real life race. <clears throat> I think all of that is, and, and you know, that's kind of what you're getting Neil Blomkamp for, right? Is this blend of live action and technology and uh, uh, he, he, that's kind of always what he's been obsessed with is uh, as a filmmaker is people and their their dependence on technology and the way technology blends with humanism. Um, and I think all of that is leads to some really cool stuff. Um, I think all the race stuff is great. I think the sports movie stuff is mostly successful. We know the stakes, uh, you know, Uh, David Harbour plays the grizzled coach. Uh, Great. He's absolutely dependable and does his thing. And it applies really well here. Where I think the movie struggles is establishing the world around this video game stuff. All the real world stuff outside of the race and outside of the game and outside of the concept uh, just kind of feels forced. And, and he, basically the first 20 minutes of the movie feels very like, okay, let's just get to the good stuff. Of course his father doesn't believe in him. And of course he wants to do this to impress the girl. And like, just all of that stuff feels pretty manufactured to me and pretty lifeless uh so <laughs> so it, it's funny my first viewing I was like this isn't great and then we get to the the camp the Gran Turismo like race camp and I'm like oh this is the movie here we go like that's when everything started to click to me oh sure is like yeah the, the competitiveness and it's just like and just that's what the movie's interested in. It's not interested in all of the other stuff. So once that stuff gets to melt away, it's a much more interesting movie to me.
1: Okay, so you uh, you thought that the actual like the races themselves are shot fine and, and yeah, all of that. I thought all of that was great. You. It
0: was they were clear. Uh, I I felt like the stakes were high, everything was paced well, it was just all the the like, like early on, there's a scene where David Harbour, the chief mechanic for like the, the antagonist, and they're right. at dinner and it's just like, this scene feels so clunky and forced. And a lot of the earlier scenes between Yan and uh, his dad, who's played by uh, Jimon Honsu, just feels so manufactured of like, uh, I don't believe in you because you're you're just playing a game, like forced drama. And as much as the actors are trying to sort of commit to these scenes, I don't know if it's just that they're, edited poorly or written poorly, but they just feel pretty fake to me. And and so it, it's not really until we get to the race world, the real race world outside of the video game stuff, that I actually feel any kind of stakes in what's happening.
1: Um, I wasn't that bothered by the first bit there, you know, uh, them building all of the character drama. I mean it's it's nothing we've never seen before. It's um yeah, I mean, you know, David Harbour's story of, you know, uh rejecting the 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 rich kids be, and wanting to go for a scrappier. Thing. I mean, that's like Mighty Ducks basically, right? Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I mean, it's all I guess, pretty I guess what standard, I'm is... but I, I, I mean, I thought that uh, you know, for the most part, everyone was putting in decent work. Actually, the only performance in the movie that falls a little flat for me, and it's kind of an important one, is the lead, Archie Madicway, yeah. yeah, um, who I didn't realize I, I'd seen him before. He was a, a smaller part in Midsummer, but. Um, I
0: also saw him in um the Apple original TV show C. Okay. Um, uh, it's about like the this society of people that grows up blind and then him and his sister are like the the two kids who were born with sight after like multiple generations of everyone in the world being blind. I feel like he plays well off of David Harbour. Well, that's the thing.
1: I think everybody else in the movie, whether it's the antagonist, whether it's Orlando Bloom, Orlando Bloom, yeah, I I actually, I I think Orlando Bloom is better here than he's been in a while, and I think it's because he's doing more. That well, he's actually doing less, but he's doing. He's not just swashbuckling guy, like he actually gets to play a character. And I... it's the first time I've seen him like visibly middle aged. So I feel like now his—is he visibly middle aged? Because I bet if well, you asked for... him, he would tell you different. For I, Hollywood, oh, no, he is.
0: I, I mean, here we could do a whole mini segment on Orlando Bloom alone. I I feel like I, I don't know.
1: He's a lot for me in
0: this movie.
1: I thought I, he was fine. I, I, I really thought he was. I thought he was uh, pretty decent in the movie. He's not given a ton to do. Nobody is really. except also, for David Harbour. I think he's
0: given more than he his character should be doing. Like, I feel like he has kind of this side story at the beginning that gets abandoned once we get to the real story of Yan and his
1: racing career. Right. Well, like, he has he has different stakes in all of this than, than everybody else. And it's a little hard to sort of fit that in because it's, it's a little
0: hard and clunky. And that's where a lot of like the the PlayStation branding stuff comes from that.
1: Right. Yeah. I could have done without. I mean, it's it's not it's not ruining the movie but it it does feel sort of tangential to it i I think the actor who plays his father is really good in the movie and is putting in a lot of uh, emotional heavy lifting i think Uh, he's great jerry hollowell aka ginger spice as his mother is Is is, yeah is doing pretty good um with the little bit that she's given do you mean jerry horner not hollowell Uh, Jerry Hollowell Horner is her married last name. So it's Jerry Hollowell Horner. Okay. All
0: right. I didn't realize who that was. Uh, no. Yes, I agree. I think his And I think
1: the at-home dynamic between them, um, works, you know. Uh, It, one of the things I like about, uh, bringing in Blomkamp to this story Mm -hmm. is, because he's a south african this story feels a lot more international than yes, had it I been do agree with that had yeah. it been Kaczynski or had it been any you know well known american director i well, think well like
0: that you know you, you can say this is a pretty diverse cast right you know like right. they they're the only white male like American man is David Harborough. And I think he is more
1: than earning his keep. Um, right. But, there's some American but yes, racers it, too, but yeah. I think even the way that um, uh, the concept of American yeah. is seen uh, in this movie as foreign, it's treated as the other. Yeah. You know, America is more sort of like, you know, people talk about America in the movie be- as, You know, like there's this conversation between him and the girl of like wanting to go to New York for the pizza or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, so like there, I I like the fact that you know they when they go to Tokyo or when they go to Germany or whatever. There's just a a, this a much more global feel to the movie, and immigrant feel to the movie than you would get from a different director.
0: Mm-hmm. Um and it, I, it's I, not seen through an American nationalist lens,
1: right? Yeah. Um, and it's in in usually sports movies and and sort of uh faux patriotism is sort of married together in yeah. the most popular sports movies we see.
0: Yeah, there's a sequence where they do like the love the intro to the Le Mans race and there's like they play like the French national anthem and you have like the French military waving French flags and jets and part of it feels so familiar oh this is what we do in American sports but everything else is like but I don't identify with the iconography and and I thought that was really cool
1: yeah so and I so you know even him having just a disapproving father, feels a little bit more informed by like a second generation immigrant story where it's very common that they wanted they want their kids to do better than them they want them to sure to yeah. Yeah, yeah. uh uh succeed where well, they didn't have the opportunity coming into uh a and... larger country. The only thing I would have done differently and I don't take this away from the movie because I don't feel like that's really what the movie's ab- about is I would have spent a little bit more time with Jan and the video game and really uh give us a, a better impression that he of how much time he spends playing these games and how good he is at them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the whole world of esports is like very fascinating. Um, yeah. And, and all of that stuff felt it, kind it, of it, fast forwarded. It, it, I, it's, it's all pretty truncated for just to kind of click on these tropes
0: before yeah, we get it's, them to it's, the it's camp. Like he, he just shows up at this like gamer cafe and is like, Oh, you won the highest score ever uh congratulations you're invited to compete for this thing and and it it feels a little weird yeah i that's in general how i felt about kind of the whole first act of this movie is it feels a little truncated it feels a little sped up uh it feels a little like i'm not interested in this let's get to the racing let's get to the juice which on one level i can respect cuz i think that's where the juice in this movie is uh but on another level I, there were some there were just a lot of these scenes a little awkward there's a lot of expository dialogue at the start that kind of thing
1: yeah i mean you need that legwork to be able to uh give us as much as we can um yeah to root for and yeah. again um not for nothing i just don't think this actor in the lead had a lot to offer at least not here now maybe in other projects you know he had a very small part in midsummer so it wasn't really doing much either way but mm. and i can't speak to anything else he was in but otherwise you know before i realized who he was i was like they just like find some model or something and they just <laughs> like because he just kind of has the exact same tone of response to everything whether he's supposed to be stressed, angry, sad, he's just Yeah, he's, I I don't know. I he just kinda comes off as sort of sullen and, and in, in interior, but not in an actory way, in a like I'm a I'm a punching above, below my weight kind of thing, or above my weight. I think it helps to have a David Harbor and all these people who are big character actors who can um, I mean really if Harbor wasn't in this movie, you'd really have no. nothing. He yeah, absolutely he, he's he, supporting he, the whole thing. He is the heart and soul. He
0: is he is the the shoulders to which this movie is placed upon. It, yeah. it, this is but like even like it, the young
1: actor who plays his who plays uh his rival is mm-hmm. given it's it the, the American kid or the German kid? Uh, The one in the gold car. I don't know where he's from,
0: but... Yeah, the, the, he, I think he was German. I th- no, i he was... I didn't care for him.
1: I thought that he was more... He, he had more uh, charisma as an actor to watch, and he was making more choices. I mean,
0: I... Mm. I, I don't know. I, I think I'm going to disagree with you there. I mean, he doesn't have much to work with. He just kind of has to be a bratty German... Yeah. rich kid. No, I I didn't like him at all, uh if we're being honest. No, I I the I do think a lot of the people he's at this like race camp with, uh I do th- I I kind of I think wish all that, of them
1: are more interesting. Yeah,
0: I I wanted that segment to be like a little bit longer or something because I I felt like there was a lot of like to me that's where the movie started to sail and was like oh okay this is now we have a movie uh everything before that just sort of felt kind of weirdly paced and choppy not put together great but like once we get to the racing camp uh from then on i'm like okay now i feel like i'm in good hands now i feel like i'm watching a movie
1: the only place in the movie that I felt like was a true misstep, I you know I I thought it worked pretty well all around. I mean, it's not gonna, it's not my favorite movie or anything. Mm-hmm. I I wasn't uh, blown away by it, but I was sufficiently entertained while sure, I was yeah, there. Yeah, I mean,
0: I was too. Yeah.
1: The only time where I was like, "Well, that was a weird choice," and even if it happened that way in real life, I would have just wrote it out because it doesn't work dramatically. And this is a bit of a spoiler, so if you don't want this spoiled for you, you can fast forward a few minutes um, after I get your take on it. But there's this moment where at the last race, uh, in order to uh, convince the investors and everybody involved, the sporting league, whatever, that he should be there uh they have to place at a certain level and so they decide to bring back a couple of other racers that he initially uh competed against um during the camp period mm-hmm. and they don't focus on them during the race we know that they're there and that they take shifts or whatever cuz it's like this long 24-hour race or whatever but I felt that just kind of like robbed the emotional victory a bit from our hero and also like they make this big to do out of all of this growth that he's made as a actual racer now that he's like been doing it and he's been you know he has uh these dangerous moments on the track and he's been racing against um, competitive racers now, not just other gamers, and so to me, to, to, for them to be like, okay, we're just going to bring these back too, and they're going to be in supposedly the hardest track in the world, the you know, in the last, the last uh, finale. Uh, to me, it kind of like nullified all of that build up to that point. Um, I- so. I mean, it probably did happen that way or something because I, the only reason I can imagine why they would leave that in the story, because dramatically, I, I don't think it works.
0: No, I agree with you completely. I think that because they spend so much time on, okay, well, this is your first race, you know, like you did great for your first real race with real racers. And then. Yeah, there was this moment where I was like, "Oh, so they got to skip everything and just come to Le Mans and Yeah. I, I, no, I I agree with you completely. I think I think maybe you could have made a case for the one the one kid that was like his rival in the camp.
1: Right. And, second and place.
0: You, you could make a case yeah. of like, well, he's been driving for whatever sponsor, or whatever. Like, you could have made that work. But to bring both of them back just to, or or uh, honestly, after the camp, you know, to be like, we're going to take the first three people and put them on a team together or whatever. Like, I think there is a solution there, but it's not presented in the final product. Like, I yeah, it either they needed to be like a team that was together all along or or we needed some kind of a justification uh, because I agree. I was like, Oh, so they just get to fucking come here and do Le on and like, fuck yeah. if he loses, but they're fine. Apparently like it, I, I agree. There was, it, it, it was a weird moment that, um, that kind of takes the air out of the balloon a little bit.
1: Right. And maybe I just don't understand the rules of the sport enough to know like what their role was. Like maybe they, were just sort of placeholders for like these shifts or yeah, whatever. well I, I but, think that's the idea is,
0: you know, for Le Mans because it's a 24 hour race, you have to have a team, yeah. but like my my whole time during the camp, because there's this there is again, we're still kind of in spoiler territory. So if you're just coming back now, skip ahead a few more seconds. Um there's kind of this dramatic moment as to who actually wins the camp. And right, you know, who are they going to take? Are they going to take the the racer who's more well polished, who, you know, loses by a thousandth of a second, or are they going to take the actual winner? And it kind of just doesn't matter because he ends up in the final race either way.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that was the only place where I felt like the movie really like almost broke its ankle, uh, getting to to the finish line.
0: But I I
1: didn't think it was
0: as big of a problem. The the only part where I like I said I I had a hard time getting into this movie uh both times. Um but once we get to the actual sports movie of it, I feel like it's it's pretty smooth sailing.
1: Yeah, um and what I'll say about, you know, the movie as a whole is what blomkamp did here that maybe a lesser director wouldn't have done is it feels like a movie you know it sure even, yeah. especially given the corporate mm-hmm. tie-in and all of that um it would have been easy just to make this a big commercial like so like even some though of the, the movie has to sort of fight against that uh to be a movie it i think that blomkamp is interested enough in the character drama and and he knows how to direct sequences well enough it's very well edited uh particularly the the uh the racing sequences well
0: and that's what i was saying i think the like you know i've seen plenty of racing movies and the way he chooses to sort of overlay them with this sort of video game iconography Without letting that take over the whole thing,
1: right. uh,
0: I think is it is really cool and really well done, and kind of a thing that like that's where Neil Blomkamp is in this movie. It, it is
1: yeah, I like mean, I th- said,
0: he's he's interested in blending this this idea of technology and and humans, and I
1: I think. I think it those thematics really fun
0: sequences.
1: I think those thematics are there whether he chooses to do the stylistic yeah. flourish or not. Um, it's cool that it's there. It ne- it never becomes too much. Um, I, yes, I agree. It never takes over. Uh it's just enough. But yeah, I, I mean, I think that given that this is a a studio project and a fairly cynical one at that. Um, I think that Blomkamp actually was able to take the raw materials and make it into something that's worthwhile. I mean, yeah, it's entertaining. It's very
0: watchable. If you like sports movies, if you like racing movies, you're going to enjoy this. It doesn't reinvent any wheels, but it is very competent. And, there is enough character juice to keep you interested throughout,
1: yeah, I mean it's as much as necessary yeah um i I give it a b plus that's that's kind of where I'm with it it I enjoyed it, it didn't change uh my life or anything, but it was a fun time at the theater
0: uh i I'm gonna give it. I was was landing on a B minus, but I think you've talked me up to a full B. Um, So I'll give it a B. Uh, And, you know, it was decent enough that I wasn't mad that I had to go and finish it.
1: Okay. Let's go ahead and get into our uh, segment idea, which I was thinking of uh movies that are miscast Mm -hmm. and how i would recast certain parts in my head so you came up with three i came up with three okay uh do you want to do your three first or my three or how do you want to do it i don't care
0: (laughs) this is your segment we'll see how it goes
1: uh let's do your
0: three first
1: Okay. Uh we'll start here with uh Kirsten Dunst in uh Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. I think this is what initially kind of kicked off this thought is I was thinking of like, you know, what works what still works or what doesn't work about the original Spider-Man which was a watershed moment in comic book movie history. Um whether or not it has aged particularly well but I think you you can't deny that movie's popularity got a lot of other movies made. There's some bumpy casting throughout, but I think the largest role that ends up playing in you know the trilogy as a whole, not just the first one, but all of them, mm-hmm. um, that I think is kind of a problem is is, is Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. I I really don't think she has any chemistry with Toby Maguire in those movies. Uh she has this I don't kind disagree. of blank expression on her face when she's supposed to be feeling something. She and she this... does
0: this thing where she kind of cry speaks through a lot of her lines where she does this like like whisper voice of like yeah, Peter. Everything I say is going to make me break out in
1: tears. Like, it, it's... it's she, Right, while well, she's looking kind of off-camera like she's reading a cue card. Yeah, it's a little one-note. It's a little flat. Uh, and... And Kirsten Dunst is a good actress, and we she... See, yes. I've well, seen, her, I've seen her do great work before better. and after this. Better. Um, so these, we're not
0: just... This isn't just the shitting on Kirsten Dunst thing. And I, I think that's kind of the point of this segment, right? Is it's not that these are bad actors. It's that they was, were not maybe the strongest choice for the role that you know based off of whatever criteria
1: right and sam raimi has never been the best actors director Mm -hmm. um as maybe other picks on my list will allude (laughs) to um
0: but yeah you got two
1: Raimi movies
0: in here fuck you
1: (laughs) so part of the rules are to recast this with actors who were available at the time and would Mm -hmm. have been age appropriate i was going more off of age appropriate
0: so there are some people that were in other movies at that time or whatever oh Uh, that's fine
1: what i meant is like you couldn't say like Emma Stone now. Yes. Then, because she would have been like 12 or something.
0: Yeah, like in this case, actresses that were known Hollywood quantities around the early 2000s.
1: Right. Whatever list that they found her on, who would have been on that list uh, alongside her, probably. Mm -hmm. Um, My choice is Brittany Murphy as Mary Jane.
0: Uh, I actually I actually thought of her at one point but um but continue.
1: She's a little bit older. I think mm-hmm. she has about 5 years on Kirsten Dunst who is definitely the youngest cast at this point, but I think she can still reasonably play a senior in high school and, well, and in the other the, movies
0: the movie, I I'm I'm going to give a little leeway there because a couple of my picks are a little older as well and that movie spans a whole period of time, right? It, it is it's only in
1: high school in the first chunk, and then right. it goes into college and kind of beyond. Right. And into the sequels even further. So but I think that she has a natural charm. Absolutely. And, and I think that she could bring a lot more to that sort of stiff dialogue that 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 plagues the movie. She's an East Coaster. So she can mm-hmm. do that. It's a good point. Um, and I, you know, I I like seeing her on screen, and I think that she, you know I can't. I don't have a screen test in front of me, but I believe that she would have better chemistry with Toby McGuire than Kirsten Dunst, at least in that role. Well, that leads me to my first pick. Do you want to just go back and forth? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh...
0: Who is actually in the movie cast as another role? Uh, my pick would have been Elizabeth Banks, who was cast as Betty Brandt. Oh, uh, for like the,
1: five seconds.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For the secretary of uh, the Daily Bugle. But in those five seconds, I think she has way more chemistry with Tobey Maguire. Uh, she also is very charming. She's, you know, very funny. Um, she has the supermodel looks that Mary Jane should have. Those few moments where they actually get to interact together on screen, I'm like, she should have been Mary Jane. Like,
1: there's a mm-hmm. fun
0: flirtiness. Uh, she feels out of his league, but not in a mean-spirited way. And, it, And I do think it's believable that she would have, like, you know... Given him the the opportunities uh, okay. uh, but yeah, I think Elizabeth banks would have been a knockout m j
1: now for me, Elizabeth banks reads older like she is, and, and I, th- I think maybe that's, that's she... just in my head because she became famous are more famous later as an actor, she was in something. I think Wet Hot American Summer was around this yeah, time,
0: where she plays but, younger. Um, so I, I do think she could have done it, but I, I think that's why she got cast as Betty uh, the secretary, yeah, um, as Betty. So I, you know, or Beth, Betsy, Betty, Betsy Brand. Um So I think you know that is probably why she ended up where she did in the movie, um, but. I don't think she looks so much older that
1: no, it's I' don't probably think it's by like that hair and makeup couldn't have fixed I and, think she's probably pretty close to the same age as Brittany Murphy, but uh, to me, Brittany yeah. Murphy has you know I can just see that a she softer reads a little features, younger. yeah, yeah, um okay, yeah, um, the next person on my list, another Raimi movie. And this one I've talked about for a long time because this was sort of a franchise that didn't happen, I think, largely because of the casting. Mm-hmm. And that is James Franco in Oz, The Great and Powerful. Mm-hmm. Thought of a lot of different people for this role, older and younger. I did, too. Um, And I decided to go with Matt Damon. Now, in my head, I was thinking... Matt Damon is still like young like you know born identity da 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 but that's not true actually if you look at the date when yeah, this was like came 2017
0: out, well, no it's not oh 2013 oh damn okay all right i thought it was i thought it was uh, okay that might change my answer a little bit
1: you know what my answer still works um so at this time He had recently been in The Informant. He had recently been in True Grit. The big thing about this actor, about this character, uh, is that he has to play kind of a a swindler Mm -hmm. and somebody who's sort of duplicitous, but ultimately has a good heart. And James Franco just was not the right choice for this. I'm, no. I, I'm not even going to say that necessarily he couldn't have done this, but he was certainly not directed to do that. I mean, and... James James Franco,
0: just as an actor in general, like he's one of those actors that he either gives a shit or he doesn't. And if he doesn't, yeah. you can tell like it, of every second of the, the movie. And I get that he probably... Was on Raimi's shortlist because of Spider Man, and I think yeah. he worked great for Harry Osborne. But this isn't, you know, this isn't an, an Ivy League Silver Spoon prep kid with father issues. Uh, I now full disclosure, I haven't actually seen this
1: movie. Okay, yeah, uh, well, I mean. There's a few weird casting choices in this movie. (laughs) Uh, Mila Kunis as the witch is not like the best either. But um, I think if that role had been better cast and somebody who could be funny and charming, but also kind of be duplicitous and and play a good trickster. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody you could believe would travel from town to town in a carriage, you know, uh, selling snake oil. Sure. Um, and if you think of like young B- Matt Damon, that doesn't work at all. But if you think of him as like LaBeouf in, in, uh, uh, true grit with the handlebar mustache and, you know, with the M- Matt Damon extra, was it-
0: I you don't have to give me a hard sell. He was another one that I actually thought of at some point. There were just others I liked more.
1: Okay, all right. So who is your pick?
0: All right, this one might be kind of weird. Uh, might be kind of controversial, but my pick was uh Peter Dinklage.
1: Oh no, that makes uh, that makes a lot of sense.
0: I think uh, based off of his character with Tyrion, we know he can play smart. We know he can play, uh, you know, he's a very, in- he reads intelligent. Um, again, like you were saying, we can believe that he's traveling town to town, selling stuff. Uh, I-, I also think that you could, You know, I again, I didn't see Oz the Great and Powerful, um, Mm -hmm. but it would make sense to me why, you know, I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but in the Oz Wizard of Oz lore, there are the munchkins, you know, who were cast by little people. And it would make sense for someone going to this land to see how munchkins are treated, to not want to be treated that way and to you know take this opportunity to to sell himself as something more uh and maybe that's me reading into the politics of it way too much but um (laughs) also he's a very capable actor on top of that like even besides those issues i think he would work for the part
1: Yes. Now, the only uh, question is, do you think he would have romantic chemistry, and you didn't see the movie, but with uh, Michelle Williams, who plays? Oh, Bob, yeah, so I can him. see
0: that. Yeah. Okay. I could see that for sure. Um, I didn't know she was in it. Hmm. Actually, it's a stacked cast. Yeah, I, I, I was reading some of the other uh, actors, and I was like, oh, damn. Um, And that's the other thing is you need somebody who can, like, you need an A-lister who can, you know, pull their own. Uh, The the others I had mentioned uh, were Jake Gyllenhaal, Bradley Cooper. Um, I, I think there's a lot of people who could do this. It's just with James Franco, you don't know if you're going to get that caliber of performance or not.
1: Right, and it was supposed to be the first in, like, a whole Oz series, and it just didn't happen because this movie belly flopped so bad. Yeah. Um. Okay, My, the last one of mine is uh, Keanu Reeves in Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I think is a pretty uncontroversial pick. Uh, You know, <laughs> however you feel about the movie, he is not great in it. He's nobody's favorite part he cannot do an English accent to save his life. Nope. I don't even know why they bothered. They might as well have just had that character not be English. Um uh, Winona Ryder doesn't do the best one either, but I mean But but she
0: sells the love interest with Gary Oldman. She sells the right the romantic eroticism uh required of that role, which he Even in those scenes, he, you know, with the like the Brides of Frankenstein or not Frankenstein, the Brides of Dracula, uh, he always kind of feels outside the cast.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think at the time he was he was big and they wanted to sell the movie on these young hot actors. Right. Because everybody else in the movie is either unknown or older. And so I was, you know, I had to go back to 1992 and think of who could have been in this role. And the thing is, in the early 90s, like pre-95 or so, there wasn't a lot of young English talent. There was a lot of older English talent. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, people like uh Anthony Hopkins, who's also in the movie. Um, and people like uh Daniel Day Lewis, who was just a little bit too old at this point to play that. A lot of the younger talent at that time, especially for males, were sort of these heartthrobby nothing actors for the mm-hmm. most part. I mean, you have y people like Brad Pitt and Johnny Depp who developed into something more, but uh there wasn't uh a a huge well to draw from, especially English, because at that time we weren't casting a lot of English actors. Um, Most of, you know, now they can kind of come from TV, um, like David Tennant or, you know. Yeah. uh, Benedict Cumberbatch or whoever can easily make that transition. That was not the case back then. So I ended up landing on... Robert Downey Jr. in the role, who would have been this would have been around the time that he'd done, uh, Chaplin. So he was he was an actor who at that time was being looked at a lot. You know, he was yeah.
0: This was before he kind of fell from grace.
1: Well, it was right around then. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, he even went even before his official fall from grace, he was um, barely holding it together.
0: Yes. Yeah, sure. But yeah, yeah. you know, given but, that, but, well, he, but he was hot in the late eighties, early nineties. Right. 90s. And then, yeah. and then his issues, uh, unfortunately really. kind of took over his career for a while.
1: Yeah. But I mean, at this time, you know, we're talking Chaplin, we're talking soap dish. We're talking only you. He's done a lot of romantic comedies and stuff at that time. We know he can do a English accent much better than Keanu Reeves can. Much more sure. convincingly than Keanu Reeves can. He's a little squirrely, which would be a different choice for uh, Harper. Sure. But yeah.
0: I mean, very different from what Keanu gave us, but...
1: Yeah, and, and maybe, maybe that would uh, be a... a a bit too much opposite gary oldman in those sequences but i think that the two of them would find some find something unique and interesting to to do i think you would definitely have more chemistry with winona ryder yeah i i i mean that really at, at this point anybody would have been better <laughs> In that movie than Keanu Reeves.
0: Robert Downey Jr., he's a great actor. He's very versatile. He was actually one of the people I was thinking of for Oz, the Great
1: and Powerful. Yeah, same Um, here.
0: But I uh, already
1: picked him for this. (laughs) Uh,
0: So, yeah, I I can see it for sure. I wanted someone who was actually British. Uh, So my pick, you might think they are a little too old. Uh, But I am casting against type here a little bit and I'm casting more opposite Gary Oldman because really Jonathan doesn't have that many scenes with Mina. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is Britain in the 1800s or whatever. So my pick was Alan Rickman. Uh, This would have been Alan Rickman during like Prince of Thieves era so he okay. he was a looker like he and he has charisma for days i think it would have been fun to see someone who was sort of typecast as these villainous roles to have to play against a a, a true villain um i think that early sequence would have popped i i think he can play lawyer in a way that's, uh, uh, you know, real estate lawyer in a way that's interesting, uh, and has character behind it. And, you know, yes, he's about a decade older than Winona Ryder. Uh, but I still think he's a gay Yeah. I I think it's about a decade. Um, again, he, at the time, you know, you're thinking of Alan Rickman as Snape and as, You know, Love Actually. This
1: is no. I'm thinking of Alan Rickman as as like Hans Gruber.
0: Yeah, this isn't that far off. Die Hard. Look, rewatch Prince of Thieves, dude, and (laughs) and I think he could have. I think he absolutely could have played this, and and it would have been fun to see him. uh, I I think it would have been fun to see him play someone that he, going against someone that he could have played, like he could absolutely have been Dracula. And I, I think that would have, uh, I think it would create an interesting, even more chemistry between Gary Oldman and Winona Ryder. Cause we could see why she would be looking towards Gary Oldman. Cause he is yeah. older, but I don't think that his age would have been, inappropriate for the time period that it's taking
1: place. Probably uh, not. I think my issue with Alan Rickman is that he's, he's just a little too strong of a flavor for that role. I think. And, and Robert Downey Jr. Isn't. No, uh, that's what uh, I'm saying. It's like Robert Downey, is
0: Robert Downey Jr. is too American. I, I want someone who can play British. And I think Alan yeah. Rickman could give us way more authenticity in the role, and it would make up for Winona Ryder's uh, Americanisms in a lot of ways as well.
1: Yeah, I'm. I don't see it, but uh, you know, I can see the vision. I can see it. <laughs> okay, let's go with your three. What was your first? Uh, so my first one is
0: Scott Pilgrim uh, from Scott Pilgrim vs. Uh-huh. the World. Uh, I have always thought Michael Sarah was miscast in the role as Scott Pilgrim. Uh, Now, I don't think he's terrible. I don't think he, he, I think the movie is good enough that it works around him. Uh, But I've always felt like he was just a little too awkward and just, you know, Michael Sarah is his own flavor. And I feel like Scott Pilgrim is a little more. Every man, um, he, he's uh, he's a little more neutral and less specific than Michael Sarah. Uh, so I wanted someone who ugh, I have a I have a couple here that I think are really good. Um, but I'll go with the one that I think is is better. Um, uh, my pick to replace Michael Sarah would have been Anton Yelchin. Okay. Yeah. Who is who is fantastic. big at the time? Yeah. He was a fantastic actor. Again, another one that uh unfortunately we lost way too soon. This was around the time that he was doing Fright Night. Uh mm-hmm. so we know we can he can play a lead. We know he can uh convincingly play high school. Um yeah, this would have been after Charlie Bartlett, which was really the movie that broke him. Yeah. And he's just such a good actor that I think, I, I think he would have just found stuff that that Michael Sarah didn't.
1: No, I I I like that role. Uh, I like that casting. I didn't uh, consider uh, Anton Yelchin, but that did that I just makes win? A lot of sense. Did
0: I, did I just win the podcast?
1: <laughs> if it's a contest, then sure. Yeah, I. <laughs> You know, I like my pick, but I like yours better. Um, I think he. Well, first of all, I'll say this. I don't think that Michael Sarah is miscast. I, I mean, I, I get that he has not liked Scott in the comic. And Scott is written to kind of be a little yeah. bit more like bright eyed and young and naive in it. Not naive in a doesn't have world experience kind of way. Like like, uh, Sarah does, but, um, it, it just, it feels off from the character from the book. Uh, it, it yeah. and now, th- but, I, I mean, basically, Scott Pilgrim Sarah's- in the book is written to be, like, a 21-year-old version, or however old he is, uh, 20s version of Calvin, from Calvin and Hobbes. Like, that's how he reads, is he's just... He's like young and imaginative, and kind of sees the world as this bigger place and you're supposed to sort of like uh cipher into his experience. He's just like but he's a cartoon like it's it's um yeah, yeah. it's hard to play that, and it's hard to cast that and I think you I did mean, get you're a, not it's, wrong you did get some stuff with with uh Sarah that um was. Uh, good for the role, which is, he can play bass. He was very big at the time. Sure, I it, and it's still a great movie. I just
0: he's always he's never felt right to me as Scott Pilgrim. Like right. he, he to me he would have felt more appropriate as one of the supporting cast or or something. Uh, like he he feels a place in the movie. I just I never. He's just not
1: what I wanted for Scott, right, because I think a lot of people can't or don't want to project into Michael Sarah because sure. Michael Sarah is very Michael Sarah, yeah it's, um, you know it's and the, I get that, and especially of, people who are yeah. fans of the book and who who have spent all that time with their version of Scott in their head, and then you have the kid from. Arrested Development playing him it's just kind of jarring yeah but um but yeah I've you know I'm just throwing that out there I don't I don't I think of all of your picks and maybe all of ours uh I think he's the least a problem
0: all right who was your pick
1: my pick is Emil
0: Hirsch Emil Hirsch I know the name but I cannot think of a
1: he was in Into the Wild and uh, The Girl Next Door. Sure, yeah. Um, he was in Milk around this time. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. Uh, he was in Speed Racer around this time, which is not stylistically unlike uh, Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Um.
0: Yeah, he's one of those actors that I. I I mean, he was in a lot of stuff, but I felt like he never really got his, his moment, if that makes
1: sense. Right. He was set up to sort of become something bigger. He also had a lot of like problems. Ah, fair Uh, enough. I think he might have screwed himself at some point. I remember there was an issue where he got to an altercation with somebody at Sundance and. He kind of disappeared after that. but Mm, um, I mean, that'll do it. Before that, uh, when he was just the kid from The Girl Next Door, I think he has a lot of that Mm bright-eyed naivety and sort of adventurous spirit that you don't get in Sarah.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And I think that's what I... would have
0: liked to see with Yelchin too is is mm-hmm. that that sort of take charge ness, yeah. Um, whereas Michael Sarah's version of Scott Pilgrim is is a lot more passive,
1: yeah. And Mousy and Michael Sarah, yeah. yeah. And I think that um Emil Hirsch is. You know he he's a very capable actor. I mean, you know, going in later, going into stuff like Into the Wild and Milk and and stuff that's more kind of on the indie end of the side of things. But at this time, yeah, maybe they he'd even been approached and he yeah I down can see that because like,
0: especially you bringing up a uh, speed racer makes a lot yeah, of sense.
1: Yeah, you know, it's like oh here we go again. It's like another you know, anime cartoon. Yeah. yeah. So, um, it, it wasn't meant to be, but I, that's who I had as, as my pick. I think he would have, he would have got the spirit of Scott for sure. Now can he play bass? Can, you know, all that stuff, you know, that would probably, that can be faked. That can be faked or taught. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, cool. I, I like both of those. Um, Okay, what's your next? Uh my next was I think the most recent movie on on this list. Uh, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets um which was directed by Luke what Besson. Is his, yeah, Luc Besson. Yeah, Luc Basson. Um it is based on, you know, this very popular uh old school French sci-fi comic and Uh, The lead specifically that I want to replace is Dane DeHaan, who plays the titular role of Valerian. Um, I didn't love Dane DeHaan or the other lead, Clara Delavine, but I think he is the more problematic of the two um, because he's just so wooden and kind of interior and he works in movies like where he's playing a Harry Osborne or uh you know where he's playing these sort of complicated interior characters but for yeah.
1: uh, a sci-fi he's meant rogue. to brood he's been brood, he's been brought into the world to brood yeah it, and, and this and is not that character you want no we you we want, want a sci-fi somebody to rogue. Pl- yeah, you want him to, uh, a young uh, Harrison Ford, you know, you mm-hmm. something like that.
0: Well, it, it's funny that you mentioned that uh, because my pick for, it is uh, Alden Ehrenreich. Right. Who played young uh, Han Solo in Solo, A Star Wars Story, because that's exactly what this movie calls for. It calls for a Han Solo type character, I think Alden Ehrenreich was great in Solo. I think he would have. I mean, obviously, I understand why he would not have done this and Solo. Uh, that would have been kind of career suicide, I think. Uh, to well, I think Valerian
1: came out before Solo. I could be I wrong. I think it about came
0: out that. like a year or something, but they were pretty similar. They're they're around the same time. At this point.
1: Um, let me, let me double check. He he had
0: done Hail Caesar. And I think by this point,
1: uh, I don't even know if he had done
0: that. I think this might've been. Hail Caesar was 2016 and Valerian and the city of a thousand planets was 2017. I knew I was thinking of a 2017 movie. So Hail Caesar would have been the year before this. Yes. And Solo was 2018. So there was a reason he got cast in Solo, you know. And yeah. It, in my mind, if there was a version of reality where he had done Valerian instead of Solo, I think Valerian would have been a much better movie, although I think Solo might have been poorer for it. Um but my point is he can play that character. He can play that rogue. He can play the charm. He can definitely carry a movie. Uh he can spout sci-fi nonsense and make it
1: yeah. sound convincing. He's just um charismatic and fun to watch and he can, you know, turn any size part into you know, his part as Hobie Doyle in Oh, it's so in good. Hail Caesar is the standout in a Gigantic ensemble movie full of professional actors
0: one of the i the one of the few things I remember about that movie is the name Hobie Doyle and part of it is because of his performance like he, yeah, yeah. It, it he absolutely stands out and so I think you know maybe he could have gotten a little bit more out of Clara delavine as well um i I still don't love her as an actress, but she's I don't think she's the problem of that movie. I really think Dane DeHaan is. I, I thought it was fun enough. He's just kind of unwashable in it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think that Dane DeHaan is... You know, I, no, a, I don't think he's a bad actor. ...untalented. He just, he I just, just don't... It's just such like a miscast. Yeah. Yeah, and a, they didn't even really direct him to do something other than what we already know he could do which is what he didn't chronicle or whatever yeah uh, um, so, so did you choice? recast the uh cara delavine part or did you leave no her? i
0: i just did alden
1: okay i did both because you said maybe both um <laughs> but my pick for uh valerian is will Poulter. oh yeah um no, Ooh. I can tell i
0: I would have I would have questioned that had I not seen him in Guardians Three and had I not seen him in the bear um but he dude definitely has more range than he was getting
1: work for at the time. Mm-hmm. uh yeah, I like it, yeah, I think he's funny on yeah. top of being a very capable actor, he understands comedy. Totally, And I think that's what you need in that part. Even if not every beat is comedic, even if he's <laughs> just doing action, he, ha- he has to do action through comedy. Well, you, you,
0: you have to know, you have to find someone who can play, play the, the comedic parts up when it needs it. And, and can, I mean, that's part of being a comedian is knowing the timing, knowing what calls right. for comedy and what doesn't. And you're right. He's, yeah uh yeah no he's actually i like him a lot
1: um yeah and and at this time he would have been quite a bit younger but he would have been about the same age as dane dehan and it's big of a name which is not at all but i think that just you know on a watchability level i think that he would have been a way more interesting valerian to watch absolutely um so that's my pick for that. And then I did do uh, Cara Delevingne's role, who... Uh, yeah, I agree. She's not the worst thing in it. But um, I recast that part with uh, Julia Garner from Ozark.
0: Mm-hmm. I haven't watched Ozark. I'm not familiar with her.
1: I believe she's been nominated for several Emmys for that show. So yeah, young, blonde, then I don't think I've seen her
0: in a single thing, but uh, I'll take your word on it.
1: Uh, Well, she's great. She's really (laughs) good. And I think even if she's just being the girl in something, she's going to put the meat on those bones. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, given a good co-star, even if she's just like a princess to be saved or whatever, which she... She's a little bit more than that in Valerian, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, she I think she the uh she would have brought more to it than Cara Delevingne does. Cool, I like it. Okay, and your last one,
0: uh, last one finally is, um, from the X Men franchise, uh, but specifically the first X Men movie, Halle Berry um I have just always again she always had just kind of stood out as a bit of a sore thumb in those movies to me you know that X-Men has always been a fairly diverse cast of characters
1: mm-hmm. and
0: uh I, I you know I I think there are so many people who could have absolutely nailed the part I just I'm not a huge fan of Halle Berry, personally. I think a lot of her delivery is flat. Uh, And, and yeah. So I want someone who's going to have a bit more gravitas. You know, when I think of Storm, there is this regal quality to her. Uh, And so my choice is a little bit older, um, but I want Angela Bassett. I mean, if this is fucking apple pie dream in the sky... You know, this would have been during Angela Bassett's prime, and
1: yeah, was I, she in? Uh, How Stella got her groove back? Yeah, this was like the, around the, then. Yeah, Yeah.
0: it's like the year after or the, or the same year. Um, I
1: mean, Angela Bassett did the thing. Angela Bassett
0: did the thing. The Junk Carpenter. Yeah, you said Angela Bassett was in the thing.
1: Now. Angela Bassett did the thing. What's the thing? Good question.
0: Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I think Angela Bassett, she's got the gravitas. Uh, <laughs> and I I think she could sell the regal quality of Aurora Monroe. And I don't think it's necessarily a problem that she would have been maybe a little bit older. Because, you know, Famke Jansen's a
1: little older. Um, I, I think... yeah. He, uh- Halle Berry's a little bit older than the rest of the cast.
0: Yeah, and I just, I think she could have just sold it better.
1: Yeah, yeah. I looked at her when I was looking at people from around that time. My my issue wasn't necessarily her being older then, is that it, in the continuing years, I mean, she's in X-Men movies all the way up through um, sure. Days of Future Past. Yeah, um and but even Angela still, Bassett
0: was just in Wakanda forever, so
1: yeah. She did the that, thing. That was
0: actually uh, no, honestly, that was more uh, my reasoning for having Angela Bassett was I was like, I mean, she's had the longevity, um like you know, career wise, I think she I think she could still play Storm. Um, it's just obviously for franchise reasons you wouldn't want to cast her now, but um, I I would not have, I don't think anyone would have had any problem with her being in days of future past.
1: Right. I was looking at a lot of actors from around that time. And um, most of them, you know, black actresses who were available at that time Mm -hmm. were either a bit too old or were mostly known for comedy at that time, Um, with a few exceptions. I did go back and forth on a few of them. I thought about Jada Pinkett Smith for a little while. I thought about her, Um, Mm too. I thought about uh, Rachel True. Um, Probably, and they needed some bigger names Mm -hmm. at that time, and she was, you know, didn't have as big of a resume, and again, a little bit more known for comedy. But I landed on uh Thandie Newton Ooh, I like that I mean Thandie
0: Newton's great
1: yeah and I think that she she has a sort of ethereal Mm -hmm. foreign quality to her
0: yeah she has that same like she could definitely play Regal um yeah uh look no further than Chronicles of Riddick where she gets a, a very fun opportunity to play this sort of like Lady Macbeth type character.
1: Yeah, um, she can vamp it up, but she can mm-hmm. also do uh, comedy, and she can all she, you know, wildly talented. Yeah, um, and she's done a lot of things. You know, no, I, that I, she, time.
0: I didn't think about her. No, she's a great pick. She would have, she would have been an awesome storm,
1: and in X Men One none of the other actors for the most part with the exception of you know hugh jackman and and anna paquin and uh patrick stewart and um magneto so you know besides those four nobody else really gets a ton to do oh sure yeah 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 you know most of them are just kind of there the biggest moment that that storm gets in the movie emotionally is when she shares that the death sequence of senator kelly and that's about yeah, but as that much could, as we that, really get from her
0: that's true but that could have been so much more um yeah yeah and and you know i think angela bassett's name on the poster is going to you know put butts in seats uh like, like she'll she would be at that point, she would have been a selling point. Uh, yeah, I think she it, been in a big. similar yeah. way as of Halle Berry. Um, I don't think Dandy Newton has ever had the same career heights, but I think as far as a character actress goes, like, hell yeah. Yeah. Um, just as talented. And yeah, I would have loved to see either of them do the part. Mm hmm.
1: Mm hmm. Okay, uh, so that's what we did for that. Uh, let's go ahead and move on now to our final segment, the streaming homework, which I assigned. Uh, this is Danny Boyle's Millions from 2004, uh, which we watched on Disney Plus, or I watched on Disney Plus. I don't know where you watched it.
0: Yeah, I watched it on Disney Plus.
1: Um, why don't you go ahead and give us the rundown of this movie?
0: <laughs> Sorry, I'm just looking at Alex Attell's picture on IMDb, and it's like a fucking weird dinosaur seal. I don't know what's happening there.
1: Oh, he was um, in The Water Horse. That was his other major
0: <laughs> oh, title. Gotcha. gotcha. Uh So this is about uh, a young British boy who has recently lost his mother. Um, and him and his brother and father have just moved to this like modular home development within uh Britain, and it's a few, it's just a few days after the uh currency is changing from the pound to the euro, um, uh, where all of Europe uh sort of incorporated their resources and a few days before yes yes uh, it's yeah. a few days before the change ha- over happens um so there's a, a, all these banks that are collecting the British pound and uh for destruction and changing them over to Euros and uh, our our main character Damien Uh, He's at his new home, which is near these train tracks. He's made this sort of box fort, uh, which he is also a a character who has a great imagination and to the point where he's not entirely sure sometimes if things he sees are real. Mm. Um, But he's in this box fort, you know, playing train when all of a sudden this bag of cash lands on top of him, uh, this bag of British pounds. Uh, So he shares this fact with his brother and together they try to figure out what they're gonna do with this money before it's completely useless within like five days. And they launch various schemes to buy a property or open a savings account. none of which they're capable of doing because they're children. <laughs> uh, so they're they're trying to figure out a way to spend this money and save as much of this money as possible without alerting the authorities, without alerting um, their dad or uh, other people. But Damien has this sort of ethical center where he wants to be giving this money away Uh, to charity, and to poor people, and to people in need, whereas his brother, you know, wants to try and save it and use it most effectively to sort of benefit them in the short term. And meanwhile, one of the bank robbers, who's just credited as the man, ends up tracking down where the money went and sort of stalking uh, Damien and trying to get him to give the money back uh, and once Damien learns that it's the product of a robbery he, he just kind of wants nothing to do with it as he sees how the way money changes people around him. He also has visions of saints, uh, religious Catholic saints um, where he, throughout the movie, where he's trying to uh, see if they know his his deceased mother.
1: Mm-hmm. Kind of interesting movie in Danny Boyle's career. One because it's a kids movie essentially. I mean, this yeah. is you know, a, a, at the very least, a family movie. It's I would not... say it's a. I would say it's a family
0: movie. Like it's it's yeah. not. Um... It's not so, like, broad or comedy-driven that it's only going to appeal to kids. This yeah. definitely feels like, yeah, one that you should sit down with the whole family.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like the anti-blank check, right? It's I mean, like, that movie was specifically for kids and was very yeah. much kind of a post-Home Alone Kids behaving well, badly. Same with uh,
0: Richie Rich, right? Of this, like, yeah. sort of childhood wish fulfillment of like, what if you could have all the ice cream you wanted? Right. Uh, but but this has more of a, a moral ethical center with this main character who just wants to help other people and doesn't actually give a shit about money at all.
1: Right. So if you look at like the early films of Danny Boyle. Um, specifically, uh, uh, shallow grave, and um, even train spotting, and um, a life less ordinary. This was after Twenty Eight Days Later. Holy fuck! This was between Twenty Eight Days Later and Sunshine, the the two movies he did with Alex Garland. Uh, but yeah, so you you know you look at that first crop of his movies. He dealt a lot in this, these typical kind of crime narratives. These bags They're of money—they're pretty money hard, movies. yeah. But yeah. Spe- I mean, they deal in a similar topic, you know. Uh, you know, in the case of Shallow Grave, uh, you know, a group of uh, uh, flatmates have a. Uh, a new roommate who dies on them, and then they find out that he was involved in crime. When they find a bunch of money, and they tear each other apart trying to figure out who's going to get the money. Um, a life less ordinary is uh, sort of a crime road movie that that, that deals with this. There's parts of train spotting that deal in in more petty theft and that kind of stuff. So he kind of like is doing that genre but for a different audience yeah and yeah. with different uh, stakes
0: yeah because well i think that's what's interesting about this movie is it feels you know like a, a kind of a for hire project like i don't think anybody's passion project is something like this um but i don't know
1: but he he danny had... boyle it like, could be like he's he's so eclectic
0: well that, that... so that's what i was gonna say his directorial flourishes like at the beginning I was like oh this almost feels Tim Burton-ish
1: sure Um, yeah uh,
0: because it's very sort of weird and whimsical and a lot
1: of magic realism in the movie yeah yeah
0: but that sort of starts to melt away once the crime elements come into it and then he plays these scenes of tension with the robber uh, that can get like I think as a kid probably very intense like there's these sort of chase scenes where you know there's these like quick edits and jump cuts and uh that that, that make the the burglar feel very evil and all sort of all-powerful and larger than life that like it, it makes sense like he's playing that into those parts of the story right like he's he's playing into the stuff that is less specifically narrative driven and and you know giving us these flourishes where another director might have been a little more straightforward
1: yeah or or probably would have just gone more into the magic realist element of even that even that stuff i felt like was his signature um, no, the, I, I agree. Uh parts of this that even remind me a bit of what he would do later on with Slumdog Millionaire. Yeah, um, I can see that. And I think, you know, at the heart of it, if you look at his crime movies uh, that he established himself with, those are all movies about their morality stories. Mm. You know, the Bags of Money movies. As a genre, it's about like you sell your soul to take this shortcut, short term. Uh, yeah, yeah it, profit. You know this money
0: isn't good. You know it can't. You know it has some hit. Like, however, there's a monkey's paw of...
1: element to it. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think that the interesting thing about having this character in the lead of that story is that. It's not going to work on him because he, uh, this entirely different, um, outlook on life, you know. Well, he,
0: yeah, he has an innocence, he has this imagination. Money is like like the furthest thing from his mind. He, you know, he's a young boy who just moved and is dealing with a new school and whose mom
1: just died. And like, right, but so it's his brother dealing with all those same things, but his but brother would have made the other older... choice. His, his
0: brother's a little bit older and his brother's is more materialistic. And I, you know, I, I think that is a big part of it is like, you know, there, there's sort of this thing throughout the movie where the, the older brother is introducing these seductions to the younger brother. Like there, it's not just money, but there's like, you know, a moment when they're exploring the internet and they're like, browsing on a, on a, like a bra uh, right. catalog online. And and he's, you know, so his, his brother's just, he's older, you know, he yeah. he's more, um, he's a little more worldly
1: because of that. And, and he probably has, he probably had more of a full, full realization of what's going, what happened with death. his mom. Yeah. yeah, then then the kid does who's hoping that, you know, by having this religious connection or by, you know, memorizing all of these saints and by talking to them and praying all the time that he can connect um, in that sort of way. This, And there's a big part of this story that's about sort of the loss of innocence, even though mm-hmm. he maintains as much innocence and morality as. As he can in this story, it's also a Christmas movie, which I wasn't prepared for. But no,
0: I wasn't super stoked about that, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it is me, one but... uh, an English mm-hmm. one, so it you know it feels different in a lot of ways. But we do get a nativity play, and and uh, uh, Christmas appears now and then. Uh, his mom, uh, his father is starting to date again. Uh, he mm-hmm. dates. Uh, A woman who he meets at the school who's teaching the kids about the new monetary system and trying to get them, you know, think of ways of memorizing how the exchange rate is going to change. Well, and
0: she's also trying to raise money for charity.
1: Yeah. And so, I mean, there could be some sort of thematic attention paid to this idea of like the exchange of a parent. You know, we're changing over sure. from, you know, the old mom to the to this newer person, um, which in any other like kids movie would be played as like a key dramatic beat, and it's not really in this, which I kind of appreciated. Um yeah. it's just something that's happening. The dad's moving on, but they're so caught up in their world and their drama and their secret that 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 is like the least of what they're worried about, even well, though. It, it, maybe subconsciously that's playing into their decisions
0: the the thing that i think this movie does well is from showing it from a child's perspective Mm. um in that the adult world is just sort of happening around it Mm -hmm. you know like there's this this idea of like we as the viewers know that the money is going to be useless in three days or whatever. Right. But yeah, we see it from the lens of these kids who just sort of want to buy scuba gear and cell phones and, and don't really have this understanding of like, we have to use all of this money before it's literally useless. Right. Uh, you know, there's, there's an adult world sort of, circling around the child world and because we're given this lens of this, this ethical kid, that's sort of all he focuses on, you know, like, right. He understands there's poor people. He, you know, and, and he like sort of learns about how much it costs to help build a well in Africa and and stuff, but he doesn't have any like real understanding of the socioeconomic circumstances. He's just like, I have this money, they can use this money, so right. let's give them the money. <laughs> um, and, and so I I think I do think from a as a director, Danny Boyle does a really good job of showing us that perspective, that that this innocence, but while still giving an awareness to the world around it mm-hmm. uh, to the, to the actual stakes of, of what all of this means. And I, you know, I think a lot of that comes from the dynamics of these brothers.
1: Yeah. I, I, as well as an awareness of genre. Cause you, yeah. you, we know intuitively whether we're in, we know a lot about yeah, Danny this, Boyle or not. We know like every bag of, You know, a duffel bag of money falls off of a train, you're not just going to grab that and get away with it. Yeah. But these kids don't know that.
0: Well, I mean, the older brother's pretty smart. He's like, that, you know, we don't don't want to tell this because, yeah.
1: yeah, Even though he then goes on to tell everybody. (laughs)
0: Well, but, but, (laughs) but, yeah, as a kid his age would, but I mean, like, he's pretty savvy. Like, he understands there's, Taxes. He understands, like you know, we need to invest this money to keep money. Mm-hmm. He like he has a thorough understanding of exchange rates and like, uh, which uh, that was one of the things I found more amusing was just like
1: how educated this kid
0: became about money once he had mm-hmm. money.
1: Yeah, you could tell that this was already like a fantasy that he's kind of been playing in his head. Whereas with the lead. Um, this was all just a miracle to him. Yeah, uh, yeah. But the, the, yeah, the older brother had kind of more more sense of like how finite and rare and exploitable the the this moment was. I had a good time with the uh, the running gag of every time they're caught in a situation where they don't know how to get <laughs> out of or lie their way out of. They just say my mom died and start crying and the adults like eh, okay here yeah whatever you want yeah i don't
0: <laughs> want to deal with this uh, but but i also think the movie does a good job of like showing that they use this without without actually tapping into the the trauma they've suffered and like right it, 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 or be and a little they or actually kind of have to yeah. deal with that loss in a real way but it but having them use it for all these superficial reasons is, is a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. It, it It's a weird like time capsule of a movie one, because the, the 2004ness of it, like the, the it fact is a, that it's right when the currency was changing. So there's this whole, which, um, which wouldn't last too long. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, there was no way of them of, for, of knowing that, but I mean, but yeah. the the idea of like Europe becoming more sort of unified, and uh, you know the different sort of political dynamics that are happening there, um, with uh, you know the technology that we see throughout the movie, whether it's the cell phones, the like flip Nokia's that they buy, which yeah, at, at the one time. point he mentions he
0: wants like a PlayStation two or three or something or or whatever. You was know the, the new the one mo- at the time?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So i I like I like that aspect of it is that it it it's a time capsule without feeling dated.
0: It just it it feels of the time versus a, a sort of manufactured time.
1: Right. I think this tension between this uh, you know sto- the story that somebody younger will get from this which Mm -hmm. is just you know sort of the anti-wish fulfillment aspect of it it's sort of a a common trope like we talked about with like blank check or whatever or shazam or uh, yeah you have have
0: unlimited you you have this sort of unlimited resource and then you get to exploit it fully until the last 10 minutes of the movie when you need to right. learn a morality lesson this is about a kid
1: struggling with the
0: morality throughout
1: right yeah or who is not even looking for the an easy way out like a lot of those kids are they don't sell that as being something to sell to children like the whole movie is dealing with with a harsher reality it's something more yeah. adult than what the kids even aware of, so the movie sort of working on two levels the whole time, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I think it's a really smart, well made family movie, and I think you can enjoy it from different ages. And you know, even though it's not a the most typical thing that Danny Boyle would do, especially at this time, I think it fits in well with what he was churning out. I mean, like he, at this time he was the man with the golden touch. Like he could do no wrong. A Life Mm -hmm. Lesson is kind of not great, but well, I mean, for the most part, you know, from Shallow Grave up through Slumdog, he was just knocking it out of the park. He's like, okay, I've never done, uh, you know, he started off doing kind of a crime noir. Then, you know, he did this, uh, drug movie. Um that was very stylish and it's still copied to this day. Uh mm-hmm. and then he goes on and he's like, okay, I'll do a zombie movie and redefine that genre. And then you know, with Sunshine, that movie's like was kind of underseen at the time. I think even to this day is still kind of underrated. Um yeah, I think this is right in there. All of that, that being said because we're
0: stuck with this moral center of this child i started to get a little bored i i and and not all of the narratives in satisfyingly like the the stuff with the criminal uh to me felt a little unresolved like i, I get that it 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 just it felt a little wrapped up and contrived where i in I don't know if that's because the stylistic flourishes made him so scary, and you know, that's possibly because we're seeing it from the point of view of this child, who like absolutely that would be fucking terrifying if a guy came out of your ceiling and was like, "Give me your fucking money." Um, but like, do you know what I mean? Like, because it's all centered around this viewpoint. There are times when I start to get just a little tired of it. <laughs> I don't know, maybe that's a cynical outlook. That be, I mean, it, it is as entertaining as you can make a movie like this. Like I said, there's a times when it almost feels like so whimsical. It almost feels Tim Burton-y to me. But there's a stretch, and and maybe it's the Christmas stuff. But like kind of from like the nativity play to them spending all the money, it it, it just sort of feels I don't know. I, I just
1: started to get a little tired of it.
0: Mm. Am I alone
1: there? I thought I, I thought it all worked. I think it's very not American. The pacing is a little different because of that. And I think that the it's a slightly more sophisticated movie than Yeah. You know, yeah. Th- what the version of this you would get in America, like the kid the kind of usual kid vid. I can see that the movie would probably play different for an American audience, like kids I especially. Start, than, I just started than to adults. feel a little worn out by it. And I'm like, is you know, what
0: how would this play? With a you know with a family, it, it, but I also think that it is. I absolutely think it's a good family movie because it doesn't necessarily pull any punches and it doesn't play dumb. Um, and and I you know like there was a moment where I was afraid the movie was going to get too sentimental and too too sacred uh because it, it you know especially with the religious stuff I was starting to get a little um a little uncomfortable there but I I really appreciated like there's a point when the like the dad comes in and like sort of grounds all of that with uh this sort of staunch real world cynicism um that I think the movie needed and but it's just like because it's balancing all of these ideas there was just i don't know i don't know how to explain it but there was just i got kind of sick of it from the kids perspective if that makes
1: any sense it gets it's very idea heavy yeah um to the point that it starts to drive the narrative i can i can see that that you know it sort of uh runs out of entertainment steam at a point Maybe that, yeah, maybe that's
0: a good way of putting it. Cause I I don't think it's a bad movie. And I do think that as a director, Danny Boyle is capable of balancing these ideas in in, in a sophisticated way. But like, you know, I got a little bored. I could see as a kid being like, come on, movie. Like, you know, why aren't we getting water slides of ice cream and and shit like that? but, but that's I, the point, I, right? Like, the point no, is that I, it's not I, that movie. I think that's the point. But I, uh, yeah. In, and we do get a little bit of that with the older brother. You, it, and, and I think it, it it is necessary, but it didn't necessarily make the, the most entertaining movie.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's entertaining enough. but But sure. some of the, especially if you're really invested in the the crime movie stuff or your, um you know, you want to see like a bigger finale. It doesn't really do that. It adds more sort of Christmassy, everyone comes together kind of happy ending. Um, but I sort of like that too. And I also liked, I, mean, I liked seeing okay. how the money affected the community once more people knew about it. So, I I mean, I thought it was, you know, as far as Danny Boyle third acts go, not his worst. No, no, no. I, I actually think it's it's more
0: the second act that has problems um, than anything. I, it, mm. it, there's a point where it feels like it's sort of stretched out. Um, but
1: not a but, particularly yeah. long movie either. It's only like an no, hour and but, 38 minutes.
0: But that's what I mean, like that's that's a problem when you know, in an around a ninety minute movie, I'm starting to get a little bored. Uh, that's not the best sign, but here's the thing i'm I'm nitpicking here mm. and it's a family movie, and you could do a lot worse um you know, there's a lot of fam there's a lot of stuff on Disney plus that's basically unwatchable. And this is at least trying to deal with real issues and real stuff and do it in a a fairly entertaining way. And and I think for the most part, it does deliver on that. You know, again, I'm getting pretty nitpicky here. Um, And maybe it's because I know what Danny Boyle's capable of, but like you said, he's dipping his toe into all these different genres. Long story short, I think this is, you know, uh, a good movie to watch with your family because it actually deals with some real shit. Um, But it's not going to be the funniest or the most
1: entertaining. Okay, so what did you have for our streaming homework next week?
0: Uh, Next week, I, uh, I wanted you to watch the 2018 comedy Game Night. Uh, which is currently streaming on Hulu.
1: Okay, which I didn't see when it came out, but I know it had its fans. Um, And we'll talk about that. Uh, until then, if anybody has anything to say about any of the topics we talked about on this episode or previous, you can contact us at our email, at macguffinpod You can also follow us on social media at uh twitter and instagram m- at mcguffin pod we're also we have a uh letterboxd and a youtube channel i'm posting now videos of the podcast um so leave comments there subscribe if you haven't we also have a tiktok You could look at some content we put there, some video clips. And if anybody wants to follow what I do individually, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at B.C. Cassidy, and you can read my reviews that I write for the Idaho State Journal by Googling Idaho State Journal Arts and Entertainment page, and that will take you to the review archives. And if anybody wants to read the other articles and reviews by the rest of the MacGuffin staff, you can do so at MacGuff.in.
0: Uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Keith Foster Kid. Um, also, if you're interested in seeing me perform live, you can come check me out at Mockingbird Improv. I'm a part of the shows, the house teams, Improv versus Stand-Up, and um, Lyrics and Laughs. Um, Which, uh, yeah, check out their calendar at MockingbirdImprov.org.
1: Okay, and that is the podcast.
0: Champagne is for the podium.
1: Bye.